Welcome to The Resilient Musician, a podcast highlighting some of the incredible achievements of musicians during the pandemic. My name's Johnny, and I'm Head of Artists Relations at Encore. In this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Tori Longdon and Jamie Wright, the co-founders of the Stay at Home Choir, an online virtual chorusing community which has reached over 23,000 singers from 75 countries since its creation last year. Here's a clip from their recent project with the a cappella group Voces 8. It's lovely stuff. Jamie is a baritone and a conductor and a member of the Grammy Award winning a cappella group The Swingles. And Tori is the conductor of Covent Garden Chorus and frequently judges choral competitions on the BBC. They were both early encore members and I've actually sung with both of them on different occasions so I can personally vouch for their excellent musical skills and for the fact that they're just generally lovely people. Tori, perhaps you could kick us off by explaining how the stay-at-home choir got started. Yeah, it's funny because it's been such a long pandemic. It seems like quite a while ago now. But back in mid-March last year, so almost a year ago, we started to get word over the news that there was a lockdown coming. Uh, And Jamie and I were talking on the phone saying, we should do something just to keep everybody occupied for the two weeks of lockdown. And uh, we decided to put a post up on Facebook asking people what they'd like to sing for a virtual choir and did a little online poll. And I think 400 people signed up to sing the last movement of the Vivaldi Gloria. And it's grown from there. We've created a monster. We spent the last year chasing after it, you know, trying (laughs) trying to keep up. Um, So we have uh, 23,000 members now in about 76 countries around the world. And after the initial project we sat down and and talked to some members and talked to each other and some people who were helping out at the time about what we should make it into and what people would really like to do and I think from the start we were really keen not to try and just recreate the atmosphere of a choral rehearsal which you know we'd lost because of lockdown how can we make this relevant in a different way so that it's not just a comparison and we came up with the idea of of allowing a sort of closer relationship with artists people talk about the cult of the composer and artists being unapproachable and distant and mystical and magical we thought wouldn't it be lovely if people can take part in projects where they feel like they can interact with and really get to know artists that they admire and it adds a whole new level to their music making and so we continued down that tack and i think 10 different artists and ensembles later we're coming up to our first anniversary which is is with the king singers starting next month amazing it sounds like it grew quite organically then from just a post on facebook and then suddenly exploding into twenty-three thousand members it's huge yeah it it was really organic i think obviously we wouldn't be here without the hardship of lockdown but we've gone through various levels of restrictions over the last eight or nine months. And even when people were allowed out and about, we found that 
once the community had taken hold and people started to to support and get to know each other that it grew based on that community vibe rather than particularly the fact that everyone was stuck in their homes and, and that there were particularly stringent restrictions you mentioned it's slightly different from a call rehearsal obviously it's online could you explain a bit more about what I could expect if I turned up at a stay-at-home choir rehearsal or session yeah well I think a lot of people join our first session thinking what on earth is this going to be and a lot of people start them thinking how on earth do we sing over zoom it's a bit of a mistake that one because of course technology doesn't let us do that yet there's a few things that are breaking out jamulus and some of these things that a lot of people have tried jack trip as another example trying to get the latency down the, the delay between sending data so a lot of people have come in thinking, I'm not exactly sure what to expect. Are we all going to be singing live? Surely that's going to sound terrible. But something Tori's already talked about is the community side. And yes, we have everybody muted for the large part, but actually these are rehearsals in the same way that if, for instance, we work with Carl Jenkins, if Carl Jenkins came and saw your choral rehearsal and then said, okay, I'd like to do 20 minutes working on some technique, or I'd like to talk about the piece, or I'd like to you know, do a Q&A session, it gives us the fact that we, we've got a thousand people in a Zoom room, it gives us this opportunity to run these sessions as material you'd never be able to do in your average choral rehearsal in some you know, tiny little church choir out in the middle of nowhere. You'd never um, have this opportunity if you, you know, if you wanted to work with an artist who lives in a completely different country. So we're working on music. We play guide tracks over the Zoom high-quality audio mode. We expect just that people are singing along at the other end. And once you get past that feeling of this isn't meant to replace singing in person, it, it's a really fun and exciting way to work because there is that sense of community. You know, you're doing these silly warm-up exercises along with David, who's in a completely different country, doing all of these silly warm-up exercises with you and singing along. It's a very different experience and it's not one that we intend to completely replace singing in person but it's so so exciting to see people vibe with it and there are some other uh, unexpected benefits for example there are some of our members who we've talked to who say that they have tremendous anxiety going into rehearsals and they don't join amateur choirs because they don't want other people to hear them singing and so for this it's kind of like a dry run they can join a rehearsal knowing that it's a completely safe space and for some people that's really valuable and the other thing is that actually learning to sing in this slightly different format where you have to be self-reliant is actually proving to be quite a useful like uh, oral skill to develop for the musicians who sing with us they're becoming more self-reliant they're learning how to regulate their own technique and solve their own problems without just being part of a massive sound and i really believe that it's going to be very useful and powerful for them when they get back into a group singing environment and also something that they can use to work on their technique outside of their choir rehearsals to keep them improving as musicians um, and singers. That's really interesting. So if I've understood correctly, you bring people in with the prospect of improving their singing, of having access to composers like Carl Jenkins or groups like the King Singers that they wouldn't ordinarily have in a group rehearsal. And there's also the community aspect. I think the most important thing is we're trying to provide different things that you can't get in a regular choir environment. In a normal community amateur choir setting, you have the benefits of singing together in person and you have a local community and you have a good relationship with your MD or your conductor. 
in our community, you have relationships that are not constrained by the bounds of geography. You get experiences that you couldn't have in a choir room, like working with Carl Jenkins or the King Singers or whatever. And you get access to the world best, at least we try, you know, <laughs> the best, the highest quality of choral tuition that we can find and cajole into joining us in a session. And once you've left the session, is there a way to connect with people that you met there? We've got a really active members group. So we have public and private facing forums on social media and all of the nice shiny stuff goes up on the public facing forums. And then all of the members just natter and have all their in jokes in the private facing forums. They've decided that our mascot is a llama and now everything is just covered in llamas in the Facebook group. And <laughs> we've just left them to it. But now all our merchandise has got llamas on it. Who knew? <laughs> It's amazing. I, I don't know what llamas have to do with coursing, but I imagine... You'll have to join a session to find out, Johnny. It's an in-joke for a reason. So have you had any major problems that you've had to overcome to get to this point? How many of these sessions are you doing a week now compared to at the start? And what are the biggest challenges that you face when you leave the sessions? We jokingly say that we've built this plane while flying it, that... Yes, we've had to learn all of these new technologies. We've had to learn, you know, what's the best way to help someone sing from home without being able to sing in time with them. So that's where we, that's where our resources come in. We professionally record all of our learning tracks. We can then stream them using the screen sharing mode. We then think, okay, well, I can now plug in a MIDI keyboard and I can play a keyboard over Zoom. Yes, of course, you're not singing with friends and colleagues around you, but it gives you a sense that if I'm sat at my computer and I play you a note, you're getting that note. You're starting in the in a very similar way that you would in a rehearsal. And, you know, the same sort of approach applies to artists with fans. It's how do we break down that barrier to a fan that might stop them buying an album or that might stop them watching a live stream? Or how do we make this as accessible and easy to consume as possible from a technical standpoint. We play the occasional game and my, my favorite one is we do a scavenger hunt and we say, okay, the first person that can bring us a cuddly toy wins and we'll just chat to whoever does. I think that's probably how the llama came about yeah. uh, along with a couple of warm-ups that we did. But it's all of these little things of trying to think, you know, how do we, how do we engage with these people? as best as possible. And these are fans, music lovers, singers, composers, all sorts of people with all sorts of background and musical experiences. That one question is how do we make this exciting for them? If you think about it as choral practitioners, you know, Jamie and I were pre-pandemic bombing around doing workshops and anybody who works in this kind of industry will tell you Working with choral society is different to working with a children's choir is different to coaching an opera chorus is different to conducting orchestral players. You know, it's the same job. You're still being an animateur and a conductor, but actually there are lots of different flavors of that work and you can be a specialist in any one area. And then what we suddenly realized was we were being asked to be specialists in online rehearsing which was a different flavor of being a conductor and a workshop leader that nobody had ever done before. And I think the biggest challenge from for us as practitioners was we were like, we were breaking new ground every day of like, okay, how is this different from how our live rehearsals would work? How do we, for example, keep a sort of fluency to the rehearsal so that people aren't sitting there 
with dead time whilst you go, oh, can I, how do I do this screen share? Sorry, one moment, can you hear me? Sorry, I was on mute. You know, all these kind of things. We became better as online music practitioners. And, you know, I find, I feel like that was a real journey. You know, we, we look back, I remember the first time we opened a Zoom rehearsal and we thought, oh, we've got a hundred spaces, that should be fine. Uh, and they sold out in three, not sold out, filled up in three minutes. And then suddenly we were there 15 minutes before this Zoom rehearsal and I was terrified. I was really nervous because I was new to this type of music leading, you know, and now we've, you know, we've maxed out a thousand person Zoom room, I think three times now. And the journey that we've come on, now we're in a position where we can make it more enjoyable for people because we've learned how this type of music delivery works if i was a musician wanting to set up something similar i was wondering maybe this is one for for jamie if it's on the technical side but i'd be particularly interested if there are any technologies that you've built into zoom whether that's hardware or software that you've invested in to make it happen since you started what have you picked up and, and learned about i think that there's two kind of parts to this one one is the the simpler side of having the right tools to do what you'd like but the part that takes the creativity that we have as as musicians, performers, whatever your art might be, that's the thing to nail down first is what, what do I really want to be doing? Do I want to be playing 26 modules of my modular synthesizer over Zoom and then put it through? If you want to be doing that, then you can, I'm sure you can probably find a way of doing it. We knew that our, our main goal to start with was run a rehearsal over Zoom with ultimately an output of making a virtual video at the end. And you'll have all, everyone will have seen these virtual videos that these, you know, to start with, everyone was asking, how on earth are you recording these videos in Zoom? And then someone gives the secret away that it's, you've actually, you know, recorded the audio and the video separately and you've mimed and you've put it together in, you know, the, the video editing software. We use Premiere Pro and After Effects, which are sort of industry standard, which I think lots of people will have used. Our first project was in Final Cut, which is that the Apple, it's, it's a sort of step up from their basic one, but it's quite affordable, uh, particularly if you've got connections into education. And, and it was just thinking, okay, well, I need to get a grid of, I think we had 270 people in, in total for our first project. It was, okay, I need to fit all of them on the screen. And you just sit there for three days and figure it out. There is the technology to accomplish most things right now. And if there's not, there's probably someone who's itching to build something like it. Now, obviously it's not, you can't, most people can't go off and hire, you know, someone to build a, a program for you, but there's probably something out there. And in the first instance, running stuff over Zoom was great. It solved the problem. We need to run a rehearsal. Okay. We know we can't sing at the same time. Now there are these things coming out. I mentioned Jamulus and Jack Trip and IBM are working on something called Quireless. There are lots of these things coming out to sort slightly different problems in different areas. So if I'm, you know, if you're a band member and you've got three or four of you in a band, it is now possible to play pretty much live. All you need is your interface and a microphone. And actually you're, you're half of the way there. It really break down the problem and think, okay, is this, how can I best solve this given the constraints that everybody's stuck in their bedrooms? You know, what do I want to do? But also if there's something you'd like to try, stick stick notes out on your social media and see if there's someone who's had a similar idea and think, okay, someone else will know more about this than I do. But yeah, avoid the temptation to overcomplicate the problem. 
because there's plenty of technology out there because the entire world has had to figure out how to do things digitally. And there are millions of tutorials on YouTube. So if in doubt, spend an afternoon on YouTube just thinking, you know what, I'm going to sit down and not leave until I figured out how to fit all of my bandmates on a video, whatever it might be. Great. I think that's really good advice. You guys have obviously spent a lot of time on YouTube figuring things out. Perhaps a slightly more awkward question, but I reckon a lot of musicians out there are probably thinking about doing similar projects, but are wondering about the financial side of things. Obviously, you've got loads of success from building a huge fan base and all your connections with professional ensembles like King Singers, Watchers 8, etc. But for you guys personally, has it been something that's created meaningful income for you? We're getting there. We ran all our projects for free until September. So from March until September. And we drew a really amazing group of volunteers around us. And Jamie and I obviously working for free. What we did say was, if you want to make a donation, then you can. And we'd send an email around at the end of every project to having a whip round saying, buy us a virtual pint. Uh, and I think a lot of a lot of groups did that. It was quite a common way for people to do things during the, during the sort of earlier stages of the pandemic, or the first six months at least. And then we ran a survey to ask our members what they want and did some ads did some sort of price comfortable questions into that. What's the word? Price sensitivity questions. And then we had a big old powwow and made a decision to price at the bottom of that range and also make it pay as you feel. So basically anybody can take part in any of our projects from a pound, but we have a sort of I, we say we need sort of 16 quid on average you know it was a really scary thing to do to throw that open to the winds and just say pay whatever you like you know it makes it really difficult to plan but we felt it was a really tricky conversation with everybody who was involved on the team we talked it all around the houses and we ran loads of models and blah blah, blah. and actually ultimately the decision came down to a sort of ideological one that we feel that everybody everybody has their own it, this sounds really cheesy but you know it's the same pandemic we're all in the same storm but we're all in different boats everybody's got a different financial situation right now and we're doing this for the community for you know keeping everybody's spirits up in a way and i don't regret it one bit because what it's done is it's allowed us to grow a community which is now big enough to support a pay-as-you-feel model because it evens out and allows us to co cover our costs overall so i know this sounds really really a bit hippie but i feel like we in the early days when we started not charging but asking for contributions we put our trust in the community and it's been repaid to the point that now you know the community is big enough that that it works. But yeah, so you said, is it financially viable for us? Jamie and I haven't actually taken any fees of it yet, but we are making sure that we're now budgeting for our time in projects so that we can look back through the records and see what we've set aside, you know, in the projects. And yet that still covers our backs if something goes wrong. So our financial model is involved is evolving very in very incremental steps because we're in a really financially uncertain time and our project grew out of nothing and 
it could easily evaporate just as quickly. And if we want to set something up that's going to continue making a case for online music making in the future, we need to have a longer term financial plan, despite the fact that the environment in which we operate might just change overnight. So that's, yeah, Jamie. I was going to say what Tori's touched on as well is for artists, this is a question that comes up time and time again is, should people pay for art? And, and the the answer is, of course, yes. No, I think we we made a decision about how we were dealing with the finances of things, which I have no doubt plenty of people will think that's not the right decision because you're devaluing it. And at the beginning, we were all in this situation of, okay, we're probably here for three or four weeks. Let's do a couple of projects. There was, you know, plenty of people that were just thinking, yeah, let's do something cool. And that's what got our wheels rolling. But if you're an artist and you're thinking, okay, I can't do stuff for free. How do I do this? There's, there's always this, everything does come back to money. You can't put on big projects without some sort of funding somewhere. Now we're in the very fortunate position that we pay all of the artists, we pay everybody involved, but we didn't start that way. And as Tori said, we've not yet paid ourselves we will hopefully at some point i'm sure what you need to think is okay if i can put something on with the time i have now and yes you ha absolutely have to be in a very fortunate position in order to do that if you can and you can get a few people saying i really love this i want to help support this and you know loads of artists will be on things like patreon kickstarter we're all familiar with those kind of models it's the same kind of thing if you can get a few people thinking, this is really cool. I'd like to be involved. How do I support it? That's a really useful thing to aim for as an artist and as a performer. Yeah, I think finding your audience first and then monetizing is, is a great way to go because you've proven the value of it first before passing around the hat. And just quickly, how much of your time are you spending on this? Is it a full-time job? Is it an hour a week? Is it all your time? It's evolved again. I don't think I'd be underestimating Jamie if I said it was probably about 70 to 80 hours a week to start with. It, it was a lot. And the rest. We were very for tired. Both us, for both of us. It was a full-time job and then some. If I would be starting at half seven, eight in the morning and not finishing until 10 at night. And now we're in a bit of a quiet period now. We're just getting ahead of the game. We feel like we're slightly ahead of the wave rather than on top slash just underneath the wave. And I think I've had at least three quarters of a weekend since Christmas. Yeah. Well... <laughs> So it's getting better. It's, been, but it it's been busy. It helps that we are expanding our team. So we've just taken on our first full-time employed member of staff. And although that's going to reap its benefits in a few weeks and months time, like we're working towards a more manageable model where Jamie and I don't just die. Mm -hmm. So once you got started, you basically took the decision that this was going to become your main project for lockdown or for the foreseeable. Yeah, I think it, it was such a all-encompassing thing. At the same time, it totally absorbed me. And at the same time, it sustained me. I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have something to drive at and aim towards and build. I think it has been tremendously positive for my mental health in a really tricky time. 
we actually had our first year of artists we had our artists planned up until the last one actually within the first two or three weeks so it was just mad at the start we both went from okay we're in a lockdown what's what do we do to oh okay when am i going to sleep <laughs> and that you know that's a very fortunate position to be in of course but it does become like lots of big projects it becomes all encompassing quite quickly <laughs> and then finally what's the future of stay at home choir what's on the horizon what's exciting and also do you see it as something that could survive in a post lockdown world where people are going to normal choral rehearsals we've done a lot of thinking a lot of picturing what the future would look like um, and how it could accommodate online music making and i think the first thing to start with is the sort of principles that we've tried to keep at our core since we were founded which is what are we providing that is different from a real music rehearsal how are we adding to a singer or an amateur musician's musical life in addition to them going to in-person rehearsals and that is their connections to artists their access to relatively cheap high quality music tuition and their ability to connect with other like-minded people in a creative way regardless of geography those are three things which we believe are really valuable and don't compete with in-person music making and that's what we are working to bed in and deepen and enrich in the way that we provide essentially services to amateur musicians in the future. My favourite example is Burkina Faso because we have one person who lives in Burkina Faso and you maybe you've moved from the UK and there's no choral scene out there. What are you going to do? At the moment you do nothing or you find different hobbies, which is great and satisfying and creatively valuable in its own way. But you know, if you want to, if you want to do choral singing and you don't have the option to do it locally, where do you go? Works the same if you live in the Outer Hebrides. And it also works the same if you've got accessibility issues or there's some reason why you can't make it to a physical rehearsal. And I think that when you add that in to the other strands of what we're trying to do, which is high quality music making, so access to artists directly and really good, solid advice, technique, tuition, pedagogy, then you start attracting you know, you don't just start attracting the people who struggle to make it to in-person rehearsals. People come to you because you have an inherent value in the service you're providing, not just because it's a second best option. You know, it becomes a different option, which has its own value. And we think that's really exciting. And so we think there's a really bright future, not just for our little beast that we've set up, but for musicians who want to attract new audiences, musicians who want to interact more closely with their members. You know, we're in an increasingly interactive society where it's not enough for people to just be fed content in a passive way. They want to interact with it. They want to ask questions. They want to imprint their personality on the activities that they're getting involved with. And I think that for that reason, interactive music making, online music making has got a bright future ahead of it. I think that's great. You've clearly thought very long and hard about the value you're providing to your musicians, to the people that come and sing, which is brilliant. Do you have any particular courses coming up that you'd like to highlight or anything specific that you want to draw people's attention to? 
So we're really excited because we've just launched our anniversary project with the King Singers. Our first project last year with them had about 500 people involved and we thought it was about time to give the other 23,000 people <laughs> that option as well. At the beginning of March, we start working on them with Songbird and we're really excited to get going. If you want to be involved or you know someone who might be, do send them a link. Our website is www.stayathomechoir.com. It's been really, really great fun. They are an awesome group of singers. I know I certainly followed them from when I was about 10, when I first realized I wanted to be a musician. It's going to be a really fun course. So do join us. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Tori and Jamie. It's been lovely chatting to you. And I think there's tons of stuff in what you've said that could apply to other musicians thinking about setting up virtual ensembles or virtual music sessions. So thank you for coming along to the very first episode of The Resilient Musician. Pleasure. What a treat. Thanks for having us. Great to see you. Thank you for listening to the very first episode of The Resilient Musician. We'll be back next week with more inspiring stories of musical creativity during the pandemic. If you or one of your musician friends has done something unique or innovative to get through the last year, we would love to hear from you. Just drop me an email at johnny at musicians.com. And if you like what you heard, we'd also be incredibly grateful if you could share this podcast with your friends. It's brand new and we'd love for more musicians to hear it and hopefully benefit from it too. Finally, this podcast was brought to you by the team at Encore, the UK's online marketplace for booking musicians. If you're a musician who'd like to join the platform or you're someone looking to book a musician for a virtual or live event, you can find out more at EncoreMusicians.com.